Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. Why don't you go with me to 1 Samuel 15? I want to read from verses 22 to verse 24. Uh, Earlier in the week as I was praying, the Lord really uh, put this on my heart. It's both relevant for me and my journey at the moment, as well as I believe relevant for people in this room. 1 Samuel 15, verse 22 to 24. The prophet Samuel is speaking to King Saul. And he says this, "'Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices?' as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul said to Samuel, verse 24, I have sinned, For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words because I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. I want to speak to you today on the subject, the sacrifice that God delights in. The sacrifice that God delights in. Um, Recently, I was ministering at a conference a couple of weeks after the outpouring of the Spirit on August 28th. And um, before one of the sessions, one of my uh, friends and partners in the ministry, um, Lucas, he shared a word with me um, about a a whiteboard that he saw with the words um, status and friendship on it. And he saw God come with an eraser and just wipe off those words off the whiteboard and in its place were the words extreme obedience. And he said, the Lord is leading you now into a season of life where Status and friendship cannot dictate the decisions you make, the invitations you take, what you're a part of or not a part of. As honourable as those things are, the Lord is requiring of you extreme obedience. And it really spoke to me and began to challenge me. And I thought, yeah, that's great. That's awesome. It forced me to begin to crystallise my focus and clarify the things that the Lord wants me to be a part of or not a part of, say yes to, and no to. And I believe that's not just a word for me today, but I believe it's a word for every single one of us. Because so easily in life, we can make decisions and approach our life based upon the the credibility of status or based upon how we feel about friendship and relationships when in fact, it always has come back to come follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. And so after that word, soon after, God began to speak clearly to me about letting go of something that involves status and friendship. Funny that. And ever since, to be honest with you, I've been wrestling and deliberating over the decision because it's going to cost me something. How many of us know that obeying God sounds really cool until you actually have to do it? And then when you have to do it, it's like, oh, I I didn't realise that, you know, all the prophetic visions and dreams and wonderful things of how God's going to use you is actually going to, you know, uh, find some traction in my life and I'm actually going to have to embrace something that may be inconvenient to my flesh. It's easy to obey God when it's convenient. It's easy to obey God when everyone's applauding and in agreement with you. But what about when it's inconvenient? 
What about when it's something that even 1% of you feeds your flesh a little bit and makes you feel significant and important? In 2 Samuel 24, I was reading where God asked King David to build an altar to stop the plague that was wiping out thousands of people from Israel. And the Lord directed David to go to the threshing floor of Arona and ask for the property for him to build an altar of sacrifice and worship to the Lord. I wanna tell somebody today, if you feel overcome, overwhelmed by a plague of spiritual attack in your life, it could be time to build an altar of worship to the Lord in your life. But know this, that it will cost you something. David said, when Arona said, here, take it for free, David said, I will not sacrifice that which costs me nothing. He understood that in order to partner with the Spirit of God and what God was wanting to do in his life, he had to pay a price. He had to sacrifice something. And sometimes obeying God is going to cost you something. It's not always going to be convenient to your flesh. Just ask our Master and our Saviour, Jesus Christ, who was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And God, had, the Father, had put a yoke upon Him to lay His life down, to take on the sins of the world. And in Jesus' humanity, He didn't want to pay that price. He, he, whilst He wanted to be obedient to His Father, He knew the suffering, the cost, the price that He would have to pay. And He said, Father, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus counted the cost of relationship and obedience to His Father. And so as much as we need to count the cost of obedience, to be honest with you, not obeying God incurs a cost as well. And we need to get an eternal perspective on earthly realities. We need to get a kingdom of heaven perspective on the kingdom of this world. We need to understand that Jesus said in John 15, that if you produce fruit, you're gonna get pruned, cut so you can produce more fruit. But he also said, if you don't produce fruit, you're gonna get cut. So either way, you're gonna get cut. You may as well get cut for producing fruit. You may as well incur the cost, the pain of obedience, rather than living with the pain of regret of miscalling and misopportunity and what God wants to do in your life. I heard a story about a man uh, many years ago who was sobbing his way through a sermon up at the back of the auditorium in a church in the States. And, and at the end of the service, the pastor went down and said, hey, I noticed that you were really emotional during my message. Can I help you? And he said, I've been crying the whole way through this service because over 20 years ago, the Spirit of God asked me to plant a church in this exact location and I didn't do it. The Spirit of God gave me the name of the church and you've named the name of your church that exact name. And I didn't obey the call of God, but God has gone to someone else and has asked that person to do what I failed to do. He says, I've been sitting here crying because I'm filled with the regret of disobedience. I wanna tell you the pain of regret is greater than the pain of obedience. There is a cost, yes, but the cost of not obeying is far greater. And whether you obey or not obey will be determined by whatever kingdom reality you live from. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.14 that the natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit for they are unable to understand them because they can only be discerned by the Spirit. The Bible says that they are folly to them. And the scary idea is that you could be born again, born of the Spirit and attend church, 
but not grow in your spiritual maturity and still operate according to the natural carnal mind because our minds have not been renewed by the Spirit of God. Many believers get saved. They enter the doorway of the Kingdom of God. They've got their gospel ticket on the gospel train, but they've never graduated or grown or developed or moved forward. And so their minds are not renewed. And so the Spirit of God comes and asks them to do things and they don't understand it, doesn't make sense. And so they retreat from the cost and the decision to obey. Why? Because only the spiritual person, verse 15 says, can judge and accurately discern the things of the Spirit. And so whatever kingdom reality you live from, to be a follower of Jesus means you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. You are now in the reality of the kingdom of heaven. But if you live according to the kingdom of this world, when the Spirit of God comes to you and asks you to do things that your natural reasoning doesn't understand, you will retreat from that which God is calling you to do because you'll base it more on your natural human reasoning rather than the perception of the Holy Spirit and what God is saying to you. This is what happened in the life of King Saul. King Saul was anointed by God. The prophet Samuel had been led by the Spirit of God to anoint him as the next king of Israel and to to, uh, entrust the stewardship and responsibility of leadership of God's people. And whilst King Saul was anointed, he didn't fully understand what it meant to lead out of that anointing because he was still bound by the fear of man and the opinions of people. He was still bound according to natural realities. And and even the, the nation of Israel themselves said, hey, can you, God, give us a king like all of the other nations? We've got to be careful what we pray for because God takes your prayers seriously. He's like, okay, I'll give you what you ask for. It's not what my original intention for you was, but I'll give you what you ask for. So he gave them a king like all of the other nations around them who led according to the natural reasoning, a natural man. And as a result, when God came and asked King Saul, to obey him in entirety and fullness to destroy everything of the Amalekites because of an historical incident that happened in the wilderness. King Saul retreated from the fullness of that obedience. He kept back the best of the livestock for himself and to sacrifice. Why? Because he feared the opinions of people over the Word of God in his life. And God said to him, because you've rejected me and my word, I've rejected you from being king over my people. I want to say to all of us today that the fulfilment of your calling is connected to your obedience to God's word. Every single believer in this room, every single follower of Jesus is called. You're called to something. You're at least called to follow Jesus. You're called to contend for the fullness of the gospel in all of its power and and all of its supernatural application in your life. Every single believer is called to this, regardless of your vocation or, or your work. And many believers still live their life according to a career orientation rather than a calling orientation. That career orientation manifests in a getting mentality. What can I get for me? But to be a part of the kingdom of God means now you're in a kingdom culture where the gifts and call of God are irrevocable without repentance. And it's not about what you can get for you. It's about what you can give away to be a blessing to other people around you. Paul said, when you come together, give something away. 
We're building a kingdom culture where it's not about what can I consume for me, what can I get for me, but what can I receive in such that I can give it away to be a river and a channel of God's blessing in my life to the world around about me. And so we see here in Saul's life, he was called, he was anointed, he was even gifted, but he fell far short of God's best for him because he feared man's opinion over God's Word. I mean, he even fessed up and he acknowledged it in verse 24. He says, I've sinned, I've transgressed the command of the Lord because I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. I heard someone say once, opinions are like armpits. Everyone's got one and most of them stink. I know it's not the best metaphor or picture that you want to have today, but how does know it's true? We often live with God comes and He speaks to us and we're like, what will people say? How is this going to look? What does this mean? How will this affect my reputation? What's the reasonable thing to do here according to my flesh? I mean, even the Hebrew writer said, it's by faith we understand. It's not by human reason. It's not by your logic or how it looks in the natural that, that should define the decisions we make. But I don't understand it. There's a mystery to it, God, but I know you've spoken. And by faith, I understand. And I'm going to step forward into something. I can't see how I'm going to be able to walk on top of the water, Jesus, but you spoke and I'm going to trust. And by faith, I understand. And I'm going to begin to step out and step forward into what you have for me. You see, if you're going to fulfil the call of God upon your life and everyone is called, your fear of God has got to be greater than the opinions of man. I remember over 20 odd years ago when God said, leave the police force and go back, study at Bible college and prepare yourself, equip yourself for the work of the ministry. I had colleagues who criticised me to my face, got angry to me. I had um, extended family members that were trying to counsel me not to do this. We, we were looking at getting, someone and I getting married uh, about this time and, and it was like, this is, is not reasonable. It's not wise for you to do this. And, and then when we answered that call and did an internship Bible college and then God said, leave the movement that you were raised in. There were people who said, you're mad, you're crazy. Um, What are you going to do? Where are you going? And then we stepped out and and then when God called us to plant a church back in 205, 206, people said, you're crazy. There's no guarantee of anything. I was at a big mega church and there was security and budget and all these sorts of things and God said, step out. And and then the Lord said, after we planted the church, now release the church is now fruitful and and has some measure of success in the kingdom and uh, go, there's no guarantees. Now you're going to be a voice to the body. And I was traveling 47 weekends a year for six years. And and then now it's fruitful. And now the Lord says, now release that and go and lead a church again called uh, Numa Church now. And everyone said, you're crazy, you're mad to lead. And every step of the way I had to make a decision, will I limp along between two different opinions? Or will I live by revelation and faith in the Word of the Lord for my life? And to be honest with you, I'd hate to think where we'd be if we just stopped there over 20 years ago and listened to the reasoning of man. I believe in counsel. I believe in seeking out good godly counsel. I want to encourage you, don't make decisions in isolation. 
Don't make decisions based upon bad pizza the night before. Don't make decisions based upon just a fleeting feeling. No, when you receive a word, the Bible says, test it, prove it, pray into it, get good godly counsel. But I'm telling you at the end of the day, when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ and are accountable before God, all of those opinions won't be there. It'll just be you and God. And He'll ask you, did you do what I asked you to do? Did you fulfill the call of God that was upon your life? Don't just settle to live according to the natural realm. Don't just settle to live according to the opinions and reasoning of man, but Holy Spirit, give us a holy awe and fear over the opinions of man and help us to be faithful and obedient to what you're asking us to do in this hour. And I'm telling you, we are coming into a day, an age and a time where disobedience is going to be cause people to be cast aside, to be spectators of the new move of the Spirit of God and where God is calling people to extreme obedience in this hour. Elijah said to Israel on top of Mount Carmel, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? When you limp along, when, when, when you're caught betwixt between two different opinions, your faith is paralysed. And you limp along and you get frustrated and restless and Sometimes you've just got to make a decision. And I love what Leonard Ravenhill said. He said, he who is intimate with God will never be intimidated by man. You've got to get more impressed with the promise keeper than the opinions of people, than the problem. I'm more impressed with him and who he is than anything that this world could offer me in my status, in my reputation, in my credibility, even in ministry, even in the Kingdom of God. There are things that ministry, Kingdom of God can give you, not everything's of God. You know, I've discovered if the enemy cannot stop you from a front-on confrontation and resistance, he'll often get behind you and fuel the move of God in your life to get you off course and off centre. And he'll actually add invitations and momentum and all sorts of things to you to get you so busy and so caught up in a whole lot of stuff where you'll get so distracted that you'll actually miss the God call, the God word, what God wants to do and bring you into in your life. And here was the core issue at the root of Saul's disobedience. He didn't obey because he didn't listen to the heart of the Father. He wasn't intimate with the Father. He didn't have a heart after God. You know, God's goodness, intimacy with the goodness of God is a greater prize than man's approval. What did Paul say? I consider all of this list of things that the world points to and say, these are the things that you should aim for in life. All of the things of his culture, his upbringing, his heritage. In Philippians three and four that he could point to as being trophies of attainment and achievement. He looks at it and he says, I consider all of it loss. In fact, in the original Greek, dung, excrement. I consider it that word compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord and Saviour. You see, beyond your dream, beyond your vision, the prize is Jesus Himself. The prize is the goodness of God. The prize, the trophy 
of eternal glory. The crown is Him. It's intimacy with Him. And when you get a glimpse of Him and a vision of Him and, and you get an eternal perspective on your life, when God comes to you and asks you to lay something down and to actually step out and step forward, all of a sudden you find that you've got the grace, you've got the strength, you've got the capacity to do it because compared to Him, this is nothing. Compared to Him, this is a light thing. After all that is laid down, God, I lay my life, I present my body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. This is my spiritual act of worship. And so the sacrifice that God delights in is to listen and obey. God says through the prophet Samuel to Saul, verse 22, as the Lord has great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to listen than the fat of rams. Notice at the start of the chapter, the first words that Samuel gave to Saul was firstly, listen and obey. He highlighted the fact that Saul was anointed. It's great that you're anointed by the Spirit of God, but are you listening and obeying? Listen and obey to the anointing, to the Spirit of God that is speaking to you and what God is asking of you. And often we go to great lengths to let God and others know how much we are sacrificing for Him. You know, here at Numa, we're 14 weeks and 30,000 revival services later into a move of God. And we're a little bit tired. We all need a bit of a holiday. Who needs a holiday at the end of the year? We all, we all five of you, so we can just keep going, can we? Um, who needs a holiday in Jesus? Yeah, we all do. We need a bit of a break. And we can go, God, I'm, you know, we're sacrificing so much and it's so busy and so full on and the spiritual pressure, it's all. But I, I, I tell you what, the Lord responds back, number one, have you bled on a tree for me yet? Have you shed blood on a cross yet? Number two, he wants us to understand, I never asked you to do any of that sacrificing for me in the first place. Some of us are so busy to tell God what we're doing for him and what we're sacrificing for him. And he's like, yeah, but you never listened and obeyed to what I originally asked you to do in the first place. And, and, and now you're carrying a heavy yoke and now you're carrying a heavy burden. Many people are sacrificing what God never asked them to because they're not taking time to listen. And we expect that just God is automatically going to give us a golf clap because we're so busy. And we're sacrificing so much. I'm telling you today, the sacrifice that God delights in is to listen and obey what He is asking you to do. Mother Teresa was asked, what do you do when you pray? She said, I listen. Someone once said, listen or your tongue will keep you deaf. Have you ever been in a one-way conversation with someone that you thought was a two-way conversation and they just spent the entire time talking? We've all been there. I remember riding my bike for a few hours down Beach Road with an acquaintance and he was just sharing about, you know, it was just pouring out like a waterfall, all these issues in his marriage, broken marriage, broken relationship with his kids, his business has gone bankrupt. And when there was a pause in the conversation and he'd be like, hey, have you thought? And he'd talk over the top of you. Hey, what about? He'd talk over the top of you. Hey, you could. He'd talk. I tried to ride faster to puff him out. He kept talking. I tried to ride up hills. He kept talking. I wanted to ride myself into a brick wall to put myself out of my misery because he just wouldn't listen. And, and I'm complaining to God. This, I'm trying to help this guy, God. 
And God's like, yeah, that's sometimes like how you are with me. And I'm trying to speak to you about what to do in your life. And you're just bringing out your shopping list of all the things that you want. How know God's got more to say to you and I than we've got to say to Him? And some of the most powerful intercession is listening. It's being still and knowing that He is God. Being conscious of His presence. Slowing down and stopping and allowing the Spirit to lead you in your intercession. To listen to His voice. The sacrifice that God delights in is to listen and obey. You can't obey wholeheartedly what you're not willing to listen to attentively. One of the most challenging verses in the Old Testament is Jeremiah 23, 21. God says, I didn't send the prophets, yet they ran. I didn't speak to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people. Are you taking time to sit and to stand in the counsel of the Lord? All of us in this room have got major decisions that we need to make over the next four weeks before Christmas into a new year. You've got decisions about your future and ministry, relationships, finances. Have you taken time to stand in the counsel of the Lord? Or are you running and prophesying of what is to come, writing out your five-year goal list, but you haven't taken time to sit in the counsel of the Lord? The place of power is the place of intimacy. Everything good happens out of that place of intimacy, out of that place of being still and knowing that He is God. So often we're so quick to make decisions based upon circumstances. I was talking with someone recently about how they were navigating and discerning the will of the Lord and they said, oh, I make decisions based upon circumstances and the peace that I have in my heart. Now, I, I just, that, that's noble, but I, I went on a journey with them to try and help them understand a bigger picture of how God reveals His will and His purpose. Because how many of us know when Abraham was asked by God to sacrifice Isaac, he wouldn't have had any peace in his heart? Are you serious? Kill my son? Sacrifice the promise? I've got any decent father would have no peace in their heart. Abusive father may, but not a a loving father. No peace. Didn't understand it. And yet he'd heard it. And he understood the sacrifice that God delights in. Didn't know what was the outcome, but entrusted God with the process. So not every decision can be governed by necessarily your feelings of peace. I'll be honest, with the thing that God has been asking me to do over recent weeks, there hasn't been a lot of peace in my flesh, but I tell you what, I know it's God. When God asked me to lay things down, my flesh was screaming, but there was something in my spirit that was witnessing, this is God. Circumstances, closed doors, open doors. Yes, One of the promises in Revelation that God gave us when we stepped out of the police force into full-time ministry was the doors that I open, no man can close, and the doors that I close, no man can open. Yes, there are open doors and closed doors in circumstances, but I want to tell you, I've had many open doors in life that were not God. When the Lord prophesied to us about taking on a church, three open doors immediately within a few weeks all wonderful, all lucrative, all amazing. They weren't of the Lord. 
And if you had a jump just because it was an open door of circumstance and relied upon the natural circumstance, we would have missed what God wanted to do here and in our hearts and lives. I wanna tell you, circumstances and peace is a good thing. Colossians says, let the peace of God act as an umpire in your spirit and in your heart. But there is something in your life called the Word of the Lord. And you need that Word that's sharper than any two-edged sword to pierce and uh, through a soul and spirit, to able to discern the thoughts and intentions of your heart for you to make pinpoint sniper accurate decisions in your life. God has not left you without a witness. You have the living Holy Spirit living inside of you. You have the Word of the Lord growing in you and God wants the Word and the Spirit to collide in your spirit and in your heart to guide you and reveal to you the purposes of God. Paul said, may we be filled with a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know, not to guess, not to wonder, to know. I know, I know, I know in my knower. This is God. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to my flesh, but I'm not going to trust in my own understanding. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. I'm going to trust in the Lord with all my heart. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. I'm going to acknowledge the Lord in this step and in this step and in this step and He's going to make my crooked path straight. Is this ministering to anybody today? I'm telling you, this message will save your life. It'll save your life. Some of you are about to make a, an awful decision. The Lord's like, stop, red light, red light, red light. Come, retreat into the counsel of the Lord. Seek His face. It looks impossible. But God likes to deal in the currency of the impossible. He has a habit of asking you to do impossible things. But if you don't see it from the Spirit's perspective, from heaven's vantage point, you could miss what God wants to bring into your life. You see, unfortunately, King Saul didn't listen because he presumed he knew better than God. And this is why disobedience at the very core is rooted in pride because it presumes we know better. And the prophet had a few things to say about that. He said in verse 23, rebellion is as the sin of divination. That's a heavy word for a Sunday morning 11am service. The sin of divination, what's that? It's the corrupted seeking after spiritual knowledge apart from God. He then goes on and says, presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. What's iniquity? It's any activity that is crooked and unjust outside of the, of the person of God. And so such was the rebellion and presumption in Saul that God actually said, I regret that I've made Saul king. Now, really interesting, are you saying God made a bad decision? No, God, being God, always makes perfect decisions. If He makes a bad decision, He ceases to be God. He's perfect in every way. He sees the end from the beginning. He knows the present. He knows what needs to happen, where you need to be, and what is about to take place in your life and in the earth. He did not grieve in His heart or was filled with regret because of a bad decision or Saul was a bad choice, he was filled with grief in his heart because Saul was choosing not to be a man after his own heart. And to be a person after his own heart is to listen and to obey. What does 1 John 5 says? It says, by this we know we are children of God, that we love Him and we obey His commands and His commandments are not burdensome. You need to know the Holy Spirit is a person that can be grieved. Yeah. 
Amen. Amen. Thank you. Holy Spirit is a person that has real emotions. Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the spirit. Despise not prophecy. When words come to you, do you steward it? Do you watch over it? Do you wage a good warfare over it? Do you guard the good deposit entrusted to you? Do, do you? do you sit with that word? Do you test it? Do you weigh it? Or do you just dismiss it? And I think what's really important in a culture like ours where the ministry of prophecy and the gifts of the Holy Spirit are activated and we're building a healthy culture of prophetic ministry is there's so many words flying around that we can just sort of become overly familiar with it. Or like, there's another word, let's just put it on the shelf. But God's speaking for a reason. He wants you to know what's in His heart. He's revealing His thought and intention to you. Part of maturity is stewarding and testing the Word of the Lord in your life, paying attention to it because it's His Word that is light lamp unto your feet and light unto your path. You know, the really interesting thing about this whole season that we're in is, and to be honest with you, it's not a season, it's our new normal. People are like, this is, you know, a really cool season. It's not a season. It's a whole new way of life. Five minutes before the almighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit on that day, August 28th, I came out of the restroom walking down the side tunnel and I prayed a simple prayer, Lord, will you father me? I understood the father heart of God. We've been singing about it today. I preached about it. I live in that revelation and reality, but I was asking the spirit of God to father me at a deeper level. I no sooner had taken uh, 10 steps over about 10 metres and the Lord stopped me and said, are you serious about that? I said, yes, Lord, I want you to father me at a deeper level, came out, walked down side a platform, the altars filled, five minutes later, most glorious Holy Ghost cannon outpouring that I'd seen in my life and my generation not only hit me, hit our church, and 14 weeks later, it hasn't stopped. Yeah. See, we love, we love it when we say, God, will you father me? And it's fireworks, lights, bells, whistles, sirens, sound, signs and wonders, miracles. Awesome, thank you, Jesus. Living under an open heaven. But what about when the Father puts his finger on something in your heart and says, I want you to obey me in that. Oh, I'm not too sure, Lord, I want you to father me today. And I really love the fact that you're my saviour. You've saved me from my sin and my problems and my debt and this issue and that. I'm not too sure I want you to father me today. But when you ask God to be your father, you're asking him to meddle in your affairs. He's not just our saviour, he's our Lord. And I do believe that the lordship issue is a fundamental issue in our generation. Where people attend church as consumers and they're comfortable with Jesus as saviour, but we don't know about this Jesus as Lord thing. And yet there are moments and there are there are pivotal intersections. I see like this picture of an intersection where many of you are at an intersection of your life and you're searching and discerning the will of God for your life. And it's not so much about how is this gonna make you feel as what is Jesus as Lord saying to you? What's the Lordship of Christ saying to you in your life? And when you present your body as a living sacrifice and you answer the call to follow him. You, you're deciding to embrace the sacrifice he delights in. 
When you ask God to be your father, you're saying, God, I'm going to listen and I'm going to obey even when I don't understand it. And when it doesn't make sense, even when there's a cost to my status, my friendship, my reputation, because you are the eternal prize. And I'm going to live and approach my daily decisions from heaven's reality and not this earthly reality. And I'm going to entrust that you're going to get all the glory in this and that you know better than me. And the times and seasons of my life are in your hands. And I'm going to follow you as my Lord and Saviour for all eternity. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.